name is uh, Whiplove Lamba, addiction psychiatrist. And uh, I'm Jean-Paul Michael. I'm an addiction case manager. And um, today we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, I've uh, been asked by a few people to give a, um, share my reflections on a video that was, I think was made a couple months ago. Yeah, and, uh, not, not me. I, I did not ask you to you, give you your did opinion not ask. on this uh, yeah. video. I, I had I, not I, seen this video before you sent I, it to me. I, so. I, I am, I'm on my own on this. That's no, correct. No, 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 no. I'm here too. I'm here too. But it was, it was your idea. It and, is. Uh, it is my idea. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's, um, we're not here to talk about politics, um, and we're not going to talk about politics today. But there are a number, um, there are a number of issues that are in the kind of, I don't know. Inaccuracies. There's a lot of there's inaccuracies. A, there's a lot of inaccuracies. Yep. Not necessarily. In, 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 in life. In life. And, um, you know, and so we, no. but this touches into the, a field that we work in every day, right? Yeah, every day. It absolutely does. You know, and, and the thing is, it's uh, as much as, you know, nobody wants to get into politics, they fund things right so they yes, decide right. where the money goes uh, what it goes to for how much and where and when right so and this is so why this is a huge impact yeah. a very loaded issue um yeah. and one that uh, neither of us are entirely comfortable getting into for for those reasons we just discussed and many others uh but they uh, there is some issues on this that it touched on so um we're gonna watch this uh this video it's uh from the uh leader of the uh official opposition um yeah, sorry. No, I just, I just, uh, I just, I, I have some very, very good friends. Where, um, yeah, maybe I should. I don't. Yeah, so I, I just have some good friends, and I, I'm uh, glad. I'm glad you have good friends. Yeah, I yeah, know it's uh, it's hard to be friends with me, but <laughs> I have some very good friends. And and if um, any of these um, political uh, leaders have a conversation with anyone, even if the conversation's content is good, they can't bring themselves to sometimes listen to them speak. And uh, and I'm nervous about giving a platform but at the same time like what is it like how many people vote uh pc usually in canada about 40 percent, 30 40 percent consistently sure. uh, on it right uh and um yeah and uh yeah so let's yeah let's bring it out let's bring it out. i'm just yeah i'm nervous about this duly noted okay all right let's go let's okay go. so we've kind of divided this up into 16 sections uh it'll be uh, I think we'll just be playing maybe you know five second clips for you guys because of YouTube's um, uh, YouTube copyright rules, and then we'll kind of we'll, we're going to sum up the sections and then and then move on from it as quickly as possible here, so we can kind of make this as concise as possible. So we're going to watch it and come back to it. Do you ever feel like everything's broken in Canada? Okay, so in this first clip, it feels like everything's broken in Canada. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I get that. That doesn't sound. Uh, I think. I think that can resonate with a lot of people um, from our field of expertise. Um, healthcare is not going those that great right now for a multitude of reasons. We're kind of still battling with the uh, COVID. We're still kind of uh, we've got some funding challenges for our folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, if anyone's got somebody who's uh, you know uh, battling an acute illness right now, they're certainly feeling that. Yeah, and, and I feel like, um, and I was, I was talking to my wife last night, and I don't know if this is based on fact or me just uh, imagining things, but I, I just like, I, I really feel like the large institutions get constant money, and when the services aren't being delivered, they say we need more money, then they get more money. So I went to get a, uh, a heart test, right, a breathing and a heart test, and the woman uh, that was there was telling me that when COVID hit, 
all the community places closed down and none of them were able to reopen. And then because of all the regulations that were there, uh, they weren't able to see people. And when they opened up to see people, what happened was because they had a new computer system with all these clicks, they could only see about a third of the people they used to see before uh, COVID started, even when they're open up fully. And then on, on top of it, I missed three appointments because I didn't get a single phone call. I didn't get a single letter. I didn't get anything. And finally, someone called me and said, hey, you've missed your three tests. What's going on? And they're like, I didn't know. They're like, oh, we sent a letter to your referring doctor who should have called you. Right. right? So, so even from our own little world, it's not It's not just happening to people that aren't connected in healthcare. We both work in healthcare every day of our lives. And, uh, and it happens to us too. Yeah, I, I've, I have a phone, I have an email, I have a home address, uh, and, and I check all of those contrary to popular uh, belief. Uh, and uh, I'm missing out on a test. It was a year and a half ago that I had shortness of breath after uh, getting um, whatever uh, COVID, uh, and, and I still haven't gotten all the tests done yet, uh, yeah. which uh, so... So you can relate to it personally, and we certainly are all feeling that. And, and if someone, yeah, yeah, if someone like me is struggling, can you imagine anyone who doesn't have my resources? I've got a shitload of resources. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, I've got tons of resources. Okay, so let's go to the next one here. And another tent city. In that tent city are people hopelessly addicted to drugs. Okay, so in this next clip, he shows. Uh, beautiful beach in uh, in BC. It is a very beautiful beach, a beautiful province. Um, and but is it the most beautiful? I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's an accurate statement. Okay. Um, and he shows the um, um, the the tent city there. Um, you know, that's a complicated problem. It's it's a very complicated problem. And um, I don't know how much of tent cities right now are. If we're being totally fair, first off, not everyone in in in, uh, in that are, is homeless is certainly uh, impacted by drugs. Many are, um, but uh, we don't have any statistics on on kind of what that uh, what those encampments are as far as uh, substance use. But I don't know that um, uh, I don't think you can blame substance use, and I don't think you can blame um, healthcare in general for, and I don't think he is, um, in fairness, just, just sort of, I guess he's saying that something's wrong here, that this is happening and, but it's not just a Canadian problem. This is a worldwide, uh, situation, right? Where there's a lot of housing issues. There's a lot of housing crunches. There isn't affordable housing for people that need it. Um, and, uh, but a lot of it, it so it's a complicated problem. Yeah, I agree. So I, I don't think everyone in, uh, 10 cities is addicted to, to drugs and I don't think everyone addicted to drugs uh, ends up in uh, tent uh, tent uh, cities, uh, and I think it's a much more complicated problem uh, that doesn't have a simple uh, solution. Right. Okay, that's fair. All right. So it's next one. Putting poisons in their bodies, they've probably lost their homes, their families, they've lost control of their lives, and. Okay, so um, here he's saying that uh, they're put uh, the as I think we kind of just address this a little bit. So it's, he's suggesting that uh, the, the folks here are putting poisons in their body. They're um, uh, putting themselves in grave danger and they are um, they could lose their lives because of that. 
Yeah, no, and I think I think all of that is uh, true, especially with the unregulated uh, drug supply, right? Uh, there's, uh, I think there's a lot of talk about the, um, I mean, I haven't heard the word poison used before to describe it, um, but you have people that uh, want to use drugs and uh, they don't know what they're, they're getting. Right. And so that's a big problem. Yeah. And if they knew what they were uh, getting, uh, there's a very good chance that the negative outcomes would be a bit more predictable uh, for them. But, you know, even that's a complicated, there's sort of the inner arguments of that, right, where, you know, if they, you know, you, the, the poisoning that people are referring to is generally fentanyl. Oh, oh so he's talking about, po- like, you think he's talking about, like, the overdose poisonings? Because that's what they use in the eMERGE language, right? They are in the uh, Health Canada stuff on their website, they'll say poisonings. Yeah, well, they, I think, I, I, yes, I believe they are talking about that. And it's kind of an ironic thing because he, I get it. And, and in the beginning, it was... You know all the, and again, this is not I'm not speaking science based. I don't. I'm basing this on a study, but I'm just basing this on working with people every day that um, that use these substances. And it went from, oh my God, I'm not going to do this. It has fentanyl in it, right? That's how we started in a, a few years yeah. ago. And now everybody's looking for fentanyl. When I say everybody, I'm referring to a, you know the subset of the population that I work with, which many no, are living in these places. So it's it's they're looking for the poison. And um, oh, I've heard the um, places that used to have heroin are going out of business because uh, I think someone was chatting. I don't know. I don't know if, if it's true, but uh, pe- because people want the fentanyl, heroin doesn't have as much of a market anymore. So even if you can get the true heroin, uh, once people are, I mean, is that true? Is that uh, well, I, I don't know. Antidotes? I don't know about the, the heroin bars that you're referring to, but um, uh Oh, it was just a couple of patients that like were talking about Hells Angels. Oh, just like the, there were certain places where they had a, um, uh, like an illegal drug supply of uh, heroin. They they had to bring in fentanyl. Because oh, of course. Of, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, that's they, how you compete, right? Because uh, uh, people want that different high once you get used to it. Right. So th- th- they absolutely do. And um, so I can, uh, you know, give one personal story, uh, not, not personal, but where I used to work, uh, not not where I work now, um, where somebody would, uh, you know, it was very much a very frontline job and people were, you know, uh, uh, overdosing quite regularly. It would be not uncommon to have an ambulance come to our place of work four or five times in an evening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, but something really bizarre happened there where it would be, if, if, the, if this would happen at least at least, uh, I don't know, every couple days this would happen where somebody would go down, um, uh, you know, not necessarily pass away. We're going to get help for them. and um, But many people would ask in of that person, where did they get their stuff from? Now, you would think what they're asking for is, well, I don't want to get wherever they bought it from, but it's the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They want to get... They want to get that high. They want to get... Yeah. They want to get the strongest stuff possible that just... You know, incapacitated, right at that line. incapacitated that person. So this is why this is a very complicated problem, and maybe not as simple as let's avoid the poison. Perhaps, right? Is that fair? Yeah, and and I don't want to get get into this. I don't want to say uh, any wrong wrong things. All right, well, just let me say all the wrong. Ready. So so when when uh, these overdose sites uh, started, um, a colleague of mine was saying that you know there's a lot of people that they try to push that limit right to the the edge. Right. Uh, and uh, and if you know you're going to have somebody resuscitate you and you're going where that is like, why not go to that? Uh, 
that edge. Sure, I mean this. And is, but but I don't know. I'm, you I'm you are going to get in there, right? So there was that's part of an argument that um, I don't know who made it, um, but uh, I mean it was a more senior addiction physician that had been working for 30, 40 years uh, where where I heard it from, uh, and uh, like. Because you never say don't give naloxone, right? You never say, hey, no, why, why are you giving it? Like, or at least I would never say that. I was like, why not? It should be everywhere. It should be in the drugstores. You should be able to pick it up. And eventually at all the workplaces, it's going to be there just like defibrillators are. It absolutely is. Um, and there's something to be said for when people, uh, actually, I, I don't even know. I'm sorry. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, and now it came to me who said what I'm going to say. It was Dr. Phil. Okay. Let's hear it. Dr. Phil said if we uh, if if people injected substances in emergency rooms, they could get much higher than anywhere else and they could be resuscitated safely. Should we do that? I'm not going to ask you to answer that because I know that may get you into a, a territory you don't want to answer. But uh, but it, it's it's not a it's not a totally unreasonable point to make that it's something to think about. Right. Because it's true. Right. They've yeah. got the best resources ever. Um, I'm not uh, uh, you know, it's it's it, it's trying to underline maybe a, a, a point that we shouldn't have um, uh, safe injection sites, which uh, is, is uh, another controversial point. So um, let's, uh, let's continue. Can we do that? Yes. You're okay? Yeah. yeah right. It's a tough topic to talk about. It is a tough topic. It is a tough topic. Today we learned that British Columbia is on track to have over 2,000 drug overdose deaths. Okay, so uh, he, there he states that uh, BC is on track to have the highest um, overdose um, death rate in um, uh, that, that they've ever had, or one of the highest rates, 2,000 deaths, and I, I believe that to be factually true. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the in the last uh, six months, uh, it's gone down. Yeah, down he, has, a bit. He, he has, didn't state it was the highest ever. He just stated it's 2,000. Yeah, yeah, I think the the rates is like forty per hundred thousand uh, people. I don't know how many people are in uh, BC. I don't know, but uh, it seems to end up about two thousand. But it's oh, but did he say overdose rates or overdose deaths? Overdose deaths are over two thousand this year. In BC alone, yeah, yeah, I'll have to look at that uh, that number. I think it seems a bit high. Okay. I think it was BC alone. But well, there, there's a website. There's a website, yeah. a Health Canada website, that has all those numbers. That is a 300% increase from 2015 when Justin Trudeau took office. Okay, so I'll I'm going to help navigate this so we don't uh, stumble into the politics of this. 300% um, increase since 2015. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, I don't think we could blame that on any particular party. Um, and um, it is a political thing, so let's just call that the politics of this. Um, because it, it is a very complicated uh, situation, right? Um, I, and I don't believe that any any politician of any stripe would uh, is is responsible for um, overdoses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the thing that just stands out for me is the it's it's just gone up in the last uh, five years and uh, ten years uh, quite a bit, yeah. uh, and uh, there's a lot of uh, different uh, causes uh, for it. Uh, and uh, I don't think uh, politics have played a single role at all in that. You know, I think there was the uh, uh, supply that was coming in uh, from uh, China with the high potent uh, uh, fentanyl and from other uh, places. I think there's a lot of socioeconomic things that were going on here uh, as uh, as well. 
Yeah, the fentanyl anal- fentanyl and the fentanyl analogs that are yeah. coming in. Yeah, they're coming um, in. And I then, think uh, it's a, is the single biggest uh, part of it. Well, well, the the rates also did double the second COVID started, right? And the the second uh, COVID started, they they doubled, and it was uh, it was a really hard a month for me because I'd, I'd moved to a job that had much more predictable times and hours, but I wasn't working with the same uh, population. And uh, all the detox closed, all the treatment centers closed, yes. all of the social connection closed. And uh, I just, uh, I was, yeah, I just, I was so irritable that um, that month because you, who are you going to yell at? Are you going to yell at like, uh, yeah, and and then uh, yeah. Anyway, so so I think the the COVID doubled it uh, up, and uh, it was a direct uh, consequence. Kind of COVID and fentanyl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. COVID and fentanyl. It was a yeah, because then the usual supply chains weren't there anymore. Right, so the usual supply chains for whatever el- other things people were using, and uh, yeah, everybody was falling through the cracks. I mean, every every service we cut off, and uh, unfortunately, some some service providers even cut off phone services for uh, because they didn't know how to do uh, work from home at that point because it never existed before in most most uh, types of work. So um, it, there was a total loss of um, total loss of connection. Oh my god! And uh, with people, so it was, um, yeah, not not. I mean, at least they tracked it. At least the scientists tracked the deaths and all that stuff. But it was just, it was just horrible what we did to these people. So yeah, okay, agreed. Sister, your brother, your daughter, your son—they could even be your parents. Okay, so um, in this clip, uh, he states that it could be your sister, your brother, your mother, your kids, your parents. Anybody can get hooked on these drugs. Yeah. Yeah, that's hundred percent true. You know, and in fact, uh, the the sad thing is that when you look at uh, revolutions, you know, like say around HIV in New York in the eighties, uh, it was when there was a family member of a prominent uh, politician or somebody of uh, influence that all of a sudden some of the policies get uh, get changed, right? And so, sadly, it is at that uh, that point, you know. And uh, the the adolescence, I think, is the part that uh, I've heard some real horror stories about, right? Yeah. Around uh, some of these young. Uh, I mean, I don't want to say they're kids. They, yeah, they're, they're kids, right? So. Yeah, and this is a you know this is a tr- this is tricky, right? Because I mean, we know uh, from working in this field that ad- addiction knows no social economic uh, standard for it, right? We uh, primarily uh, the work people that that most of you and I work with are n- are not of uh, not of means, but that's not exclusively so. Um, no, I, the I, ones with means just end up at other uh, places. They do. Right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, but uh, yeah. and occasionally we do work with people of means yeah, that stumble yeah, into absolutely. into our care as well. But um, mm. but we know absolutely this uh, knows no boundaries. And um, yeah, uh, so that, that's a good point. Uh, by taking them first as medication. Okay, so this is going to get into... That, that's uh, No, so I mean, let, maybe we should repeat the statement. The statement pretty much says that uh, people were prescribed medications. Yes. And then they became uh, addicts it, because of it. You know, there, there's some uh, Then it increase, uh, increases it. their doses uh, yeah. because they develop a tolerance. Yeah, yeah but the, the other problem was that in the uh, around 2010, 28 to 2012, uh, that's when they started this deprescribing initiative, right? So they, they found all these, and they didn't do it uh, properly. Uh, so around 2008, uh, that was the first time in two decades that in the States, uh, the heroin um, uh, epidemic increased. Right, and it was a direct consequence, uh, I believe, of uh, doctors trying to treat the six vital sign for pain, and then trying to correct it. Because back then, how do they correct it? The regulatory bodies are stopped prescribing this. You have somebody who's um, uh, diverting the drugs or uh, selling them, uh, or double doctoring. I fire you as a patient, right? They weren't treating the disorder. 
And there were treatments back then too. It was like absurd. And and now we know that forced deprescribing is killing people. Like that's in the data too. So it's sure, sure. Like, you know, we give that person, what's that thing where you give them like one perks and all of a sudden have a lifelong addiction? Maybe, maybe there's or two, but the doctors doubled did it. The doctors and the regulatory bodies doubled it because they did it first by this unlimited compassion around pain, right? Let, let's, let's resolve your pain. And then they doubled did it by taking it all away, right? And, and now I would and then, and then you take it all away, then what happens? You go through extreme withdrawal or, or suicidal, or, or, and then or, you go or, to fentanyl and you go to heroin. Right. And that's, yeah, that's what, what, what I was implying. That's yeah. what I was implying. Yeah. Now, I'm not convinced that the biggest pathway to opiate addiction is doctors prescribing. But I might be wrong. No, I, I would think I, that's... I, uh, no, but, no, I, I but, would... But in 2008, so, 2009, when they delisted OxyContin, oh my goodness, all those poor people. Yeah. You know, uh, and the so that's when it, that, was that a Canadian and American thing at that point? And to, yeah, I mean, around I think there? the timings like, were a little bit uh, different, but, you know. But, uh, but it was, yeah, it was a North, it was definitely North. Ago. It was a North American uh, thing, you know. Uh, and I should probably check what it is because uh, I remember going to conferences, right, where they would say, "Fire, fire your patient." You know, you can't see them, and then say, "Okay, stop prescribing, but see them again." Nobody was saying assess and treat the substance use disorder or find the best treatment for the pain and the addiction. And these, uh, I mean, I mean, these weren't like whatever stereotype that we think we can ignore. Right. These were like people that like, you know, chronic pain were working, all this kind of stuff. And when I saw them, like when I saw them in the the emerges and in, in withdrawal, it was just devastating to hear their stories because some of these people had like four or five years. And nobody told them that it wasn't their fault. Right. And nobody told them there was treatment uh, for it. Right. You know, like it was just uh, it was just horrible. And uh, I mean, now it's better because buprenorphine is uh, everywhere. Right. Every merge has it. Uh, but there was a decade where like literally uh, I've had. Patients were back in the late uh, 2000s. They went to every single eMERGE in downtown Toronto. They saw all these specialists for pain. And nobody offered them treatment for opiate use disorder. And then finally they get on buprenorphine and boom, they're like, oh my God, it saved my life. I mean, they, they'll have other issues too, but like we're like... They, they, in fairness to medicine, you know, it took like what? Like 30 some years before surgeons realized, hey, we have to wash our hands. Like I'm not even joking. Like okay. like like they they had they had a study back in like you know the 1930s 40s. They figured out that because uh, surgeons weren't washing their hands and that 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 was causing the infections. Uh, they they had this thing where they didn't realize that hey if you go to the cadaver lab and do an autopsy like to learn and then you go to the OR like you're going to give them infections. They say it takes 17 years for uh, evidence based practice to get into there right. And so I shouldn't be blaming uh, doctors and uh, regulatory bodies and and all this stuff for this uh, it takes 17 years but it's, it's a lot of lives lost in those uh, 17 years right because of uh, things that have very good medical treatments for it yeah so sorry for the tangent i just no, 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 uh, i no. feel because 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 the, there's both there's the doctors initially giving it then there's the doctor stopping giving it and then there's a the system not offering addiction care or even the best treatment for pain and addiction even now it's completely uh, siloed in every way that's uh that's that's possible uh, all right, so let's uh, get to the next segment here. It's not just crack cocaine and methamphetamines, but it's opioids. Okay, so I think um, in this segment he says it's not just um, it's it's it, it it I don't know what he said actually. So um, he said, look, it's not just methamphetamine and other uh, hard drugs; it's, it's also it, opiates, and yeah, these think, are the drugs that people yeah. prescribe, right? And, and, in, and in fairness, I think so. He he may get the substances muddled up here, but I don't think that's that's really key. Um, the overprescribing, as far as uh, or underprescribing, he actually said both. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, all right. Whatever he's the prescribing, I don't think it, I think the prescribing issue only seems to center around opioids. Right. That's uh, I've never heard of uh, this being blamed on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Methamphetamine yeah. over prescribing yeah. or under prescribing. Um, and um, I mean, I'm not sure where he's going with that because a lot of times it's not what they say, but it's what's sort of implied. And I'm uh, not sure what's it, implied right? in that uh, particular one, but yeah, that's OK. Yeah. Maybe we, it's uh, maybe it's criticizing doctors. I don't know. There's same uh, drugs. I don't know. Same drugs over prescribed under prescribed. Yeah. Well, there's. Uh, yeah. They are the result of a failed experiment. This is a, a deliberate policy. Okay, so um, in this segment, the um, he um, I think he's 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 I think he's alluding to uh, something that uh, is, is is common vernacular now would be safer supply or. Some people would call it the public supply of addictive drugs. Some people in your line well, of work. Well, it's hard to know because uh, none of those cities had a public supply of, uh, or whatever it is, safer supply. Like, uh, I don't remember hearing about safer okay. supply in Los Angeles. Yeah. No, no, that's fair. But, but I don't so, even, yeah. So that's why I we're ta- talking about the 10 cities. That's what, well, no, now he's talking about the, the he's, he, he's, I think he's. You con- think he's talking about the drug, drug supply? I think he's conflating a lot of different things here. I, but I think what uh, primarily, um, I, I don't think this has been a, um, uh, right, so there's a lot of stuff to unpack. We can agree on that. Yeah, yeah. So in uh, in uh, in Canada, even without the safer supply um, uh, situation, uh, we have uh, treatments for addiction that include uh, slow release oral morphine. In the states, you can't actually prescribe it because it's uh, illegal, right? To prescribe it for uh, addiction, even though it's an evidence-based treatment for um, addiction. Uh, and here we we give um, hydromorphone and other drugs in the form of safer supply. These are government-funded programs. These are Health Canada-funded programs, millions of dollars uh, over the last a few years, uh, try to help these people stay alive. And in the States, they don't have those uh, programs to give hydromorphone uh, where they know people are going to be um, in, injecting it. Okay. So... Um and the failed experiment part is tricky to know because it's hard to really unpack the, the data uh, around uh, how much better it is versus how different it is from uh, um, methadone or buprenorphine or other uh, treatments. Uh, right. and, and we're not sure exactly what he's referring to anyway. Oh, yeah, so. exactly. I, yeah, I don't know what he's talking we about. We don't know what yeah, that no, failed. Yeah, so fair enough. I don't know what he's talking well, about. I'm, uh, I'm assuming uh, things um, and trying to put it in the best light uh, possible. Yeah, so, okay. Let's go to the next one then. Across Canada, violent crime has increased by 32%. We should have expected this because every time this experiment has been tried, it has resulted in exactly the same outcome. So in this clip, he's um, uh, suggesting that uh, there's been an increase in violent crime um, where this experiment, which in fairness, he doesn't really he doesn't really set out what the experiment was. Um, and, and you know what? That's not our area of expertise, right? We're not uh, we're not uh, criminal justice people. I don't know if yeah, no, we don't know what he's talking about experiment. We don't know if he's talking about, about that, creating these uh, tent cities or whatever he's saying. I don't know what he's talking about with the failed uh, ex- experiment, and and he's uh, connecting things that may not be connected that I don't think are connected, right? So the thirty some percent increase in violent crime, uh, and uh, what was the other one? There was another thing. Well, the, he 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 just restated the uh, the overdose deaths, right? Yeah, like like the like all the stuff uh, is not uh, clearly linked and it's much right. more nuanced and uh, complicated sure. and, and we're not we're not crim- criminologists is that the word 
Yeah, but but whatever it is, I mean, I I don't know what's happened to um, the police policy. I don't know what's happened sure. socioeconomically, you know, to people in general, right? Uh, uh, this is not a, a safer supply uh, issue. Yeah. Okay. We need to put the resources into bolstering our borders to keep the precursor ingredients that go into making these drugs out of the country. Okay, so in this one, um, the um, he states that uh, first, we know what works. Um, he's going to go through a few few things that works. Now, uh, some of the things that work, uh, I think we'll agree with more than others. Uh, this particular one, he talks about uh, tougher borders. Um, I'm going to put a put a picture up uh, right now, um, and you'll see in that picture is uh, is the amount of fentanyl. Uh, and carfentanil that is required to uh, be a lethal dose. And you'll see that that picture, it's just like a little grain of sand right there in that yeah, picture. Yeah, yeah. So I think that, that that's a bit of a, um, I think that ship has sailed. I think that we're not going to be able to keep that grain of sand from, yeah, yeah. from so, coming so in. I don't know when this started. I don't know if it was 2016 or 2018, but back then, you know, if you were a business person, you could get a block of uh, fentanyl for about $2,000. Uh, and the street value, that would be about 100 k right uh, for it uh, and uh, they, they had all these different ways of getting it uh, in um, in back uh, back then and uh, and I don't know if it was COVID that made it more uh, accessible to get these uh, illicit because uh, the, the other supplies of hydromorphin and other stuff weren't there but yeah in terms of business wise how do you compete with that right in terms of uh, right uh, profit, but I don't know if that's that's why the illicit fentanyl is there I don't know I just uh, so I don't know if you can close the the borders Right, I think that that to might illicit fentanyl, yeah, yeah, and I think that's more of a that's a bit of an old school kind of say no to drugs kind of argument. I think I, I don't think, uh, but again, that's well. Well, I mean, uh, the whole idea versus a supply versus demand is a very uh, complicated and nuanced one, right? And when you watch these uh, popular Hollywood movies, they you can almost tell what side uh, they're uh, they're on. And the um, liberal uh, side is more about, uh, you know, the socioeconomic, reducing uh, demand. Uh, and then the um, other scientists are more about the, the access, right? So. Okay. All right. So uh, let's go to the next one here. Um. Look, I believe, like anyone, that a young person who makes a mistake should get a second chance. But we're not talking about that here. We're talking about hardened, repeat, violent offenders that, or organized criminals that are devoted to a life of crime and preying on innocent victims. So uh, in this clip, he, um, he speaks about, uh, he tries to, I think, um, uh, kind of find the, the, the area where it's, he wants to focus on not being tough on crime, not being tough on, on, on substance users, but uh, really focusing on the people that are, bringing in the, the, the large amounts of drugs, I guess, or, or a, with an element of violence into it and that are bringing in the drug supply. Um, I think this is an area that, uh, you know, the, uh, perhaps they've got a bit of a history with since their, you know, the, the previous, uh, their, their previous government was fairly um, well known for being a tough on, tough on um, uh, crime party. I think that's fair. Um, they brought in a lot of uh, a lot of mandatory sentencings that uh, certainly impacted a lot of people in our country, um, and um, uh, so so I think they're trying to say, well, let's get after the the, the big dealers and not the little people that are using drugs. So um, I don't know how well he kind of uh, you know kind of 
threads that needle, but uh, I think that's where he's going. What do you, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, I, I don't know uh, how to sort of fully uh, fully uh, comment uh, on it. I'm glad he's not uh, proposing um, going after the people that are using uh, drugs. Um, mm -hmm. I think uh, there has been an approach for violent uh, people. Um, uh, I, I suspect uh, some of it would involve uh, treatment, you know, for... Um, the substance use or for the aggression or, or and we're going to get we're going to get we're going to yeah. get into that in the next clip here finally and most important we need to stop using tax dollars to fund dangerous drugs under the so-called and ironically named idea of safe supply there is no safe supply of these drugs they are deadly okay so in this clip he discusses um uh he goes right on and talks about safe supply and um, and says that we need to stop funding safe supply programs. And uh, he, I think he is, I'm not sure if he's alluding to the safe supply. In previous clips, I think he kind of skirts around it. I think he was, in a way, describing that a lot of this has been a safe supply problem. And, and I, I think we can agree that that may be a, a, um, a, a big overstatement because safe supplies not that widespread in certainly in, in our province it's not at all and i don't think that's led to any of the problems that were yeah yeah people are people aren't dying uh, the majority of people aren't dying because of uh safer supply they're dying because of uh the fentanyl yes. uh, and the unregulated uh drug supply and right. uh, maybe the stuff that leads to people being in that vulnerable state where that's their only uh um salvation in in some way um, I think uh, as healthcare providers, we need to be very careful about wording and um, and uh, and language. And when uh, safe supply uh, sort of was started, you know, I think a lot of people really pushed for the safer supply because I think we can all agree that what's being prescribed is safer than uh, the unregulated uh, fentanyl. Uh, but when you when you have a buzzword that uh, certain people can just take and uh, show flaws with it, it gets very very um, uh, difficult. So. All right, so we're almost done here. Instead, we should put that money into recovery and treatment. De detox programs that bring uh, the addict into a facility, help them remove the poisons from their body. So, so he's in a tough bind, right? He's in a tough bind because he's using the word uh, addict. And, and there's people that have been through AA, NA, stuff like that, that identify as an addict, people that have been through recovery, all that kind of stuff. But the people that are going to be against him are not the people that have been through recovery. They're going to be the ones that are advocating uh, to support people who use drugs to reduce the deaths in some kind of way. And so I think the, the challenge is that using the word addict is really going to turn off uh, some people and sure. they won't hear all the other stuff that he's uh, he's uh, he's saying. That's a fair and, point. And there's delicate ways around language to really uh, share that, right? So, uh, I mean, I, I normally, I mean, he's a, he's a politician. Uh, he's not going to be in the same circles that uh, I'm in. But, but really, there, there's a way to frame it like um, uh, for people who use drugs that want a pathway to a different life, they need direct, immediate, quick access to ways of safely detoxing from the substances and connecting to treatments that can really deal with whatever socioeconomic other problems that may have led them to get there in the first place. If they want to.
Yeah, yeah. If yeah, they want yeah, to. Yeah, and, yeah. That, and I think that's yeah, the yeah, key yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He didn't include that. but And that's where our gap is, right? right. So when we have, um, uh, say, like a harm reduction program for alcohol, right? Or we have a harm reduction uh, program for uh, substances, we don't always have that direct access to treatment. And you have no. to ask yourself, why is Netherlands and why is Portugal so good at it? Yeah. They have they have like methadone clinics at every corner. Yeah. Every, you know how hard it is to get methadone in the States? Yeah. You have to wait like like forever. You have to like go to some random clinic somewhere, all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's they have they have tons of treatment places uh, everywhere, right? You need a, to make harm reduction and giving drugs that people inject successful. You need to make it as easy, if not easier, to get out of the addiction in terms of access. Yep. Great point. All right, and I think this is the final clip, I believe. Alberta today, they've managed to cut overdose deaths by almost half by getting people into recovery. It's possible, there is hope, to give people back control of their lives. Okay, so in this clip, he um, he talks about the Alberta model, which uh, they have spent, they've changed their funding quite a bit um, yep. with, with the yep, change of their own government. Um, have, yeah. And uh, you can get treatment, uh, I understand, much more rapidly in Alberta. I don't think you have to wait. The, I'm trying to get uh, some folks in this week. I, I've got a 14-week you know, wait. Uh, to get somebody who's after detox. So I've got to, you know, kind of figure out a, an outcome for them for the 14 weeks in between. Um, I understand that weight is, uh, is, 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 is 90% less in Alberta right now. Yeah, no, they, they've got a, a two-day conference, I think, coming in February or March, and I'm, like, tempted to, to go down there just because if something works, I, I just want to see it. I just want to see it. And and every time I, I go and, and I listen and I try to learn about a treatment, I try to figure out how to implement it, I always think about those subset of people that it, uh, that it harms, right? Uh, because, you know, when we think about safer supply, all that stuff, we're not thinking about the people that get into the, the detox and the treatment programs. We're, we're usually thinking about the ones that don't want to or aren't ready or they, they've not been in the right situation or the environment it's not better for them to go there than the others in terms of what their values are and what they uh what they what they want but i i definitely want to know what they're they're doing the the challenge uh, is that you know when it i don't know how to do this stuff without getting into the the politics of it right that's because it's it's so polarizing, right? Like it's so polarizing and you have all these people that want to save lives and just want everyone to be yeah. fulfilled and have something meaningful. And there's so much vitriol and hatred that, that goes in those uh, directions. So I just, I want to learn the truth in um, what the Alberta models are doing. I'd love to bring the effective components here and I want to learn the truth and the harms and the uh, safer supply uh, model uh, so I can make sure that the people that need that uh, can, can get access to that in a way that helps them yeah in whatever way that's needed right and uh yeah on this particular point so this is this is an area where i struggle with because i i i have spent a lot of time working in the community working with these teams and but i've also spent considerably more time working in traditional addiction medicine circles working with people like yourself yeah, but but you haven't worked in the recovery centers so you haven't worked in like no. you know those uh three-month treatment centers nope, that they dive deep that. right so so uh i think uh that's the part there that we don't always get uh get right. exposed to but the point i was trying to make is i think that one of the points that uh that that a lot of my 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 colleagues that i admire the hell out of in the in the uh in the community I think that they they have are so disconnected from conventional addiction medicine they don't even know that it exists in a lot of cases and and these are these are people that have done it for a long time or or they've written it completely off 
and um, and that's sad because they don't know how effective it can be for the right people. Yeah, yeah, and, and so these these uh, treatment centers. Uh, one thing to remember is that right now, for a lot of us, even us in addiction, it's a bit of a black box. Yeah. What does it mean? What does that one month mean? What does that three month mean? What does those things mean? And you're talking about addiction medicine, but these recovery centers are different than addiction medicine. Yes. Sometimes they're like treatment communities. Uh, sometimes they're like a twelve step program. Now mm-hmm. they've started to include psychological treatments for it. So some of these uh, places they've uh, they've realized that a lot of people that come in have uh, PTSD. A lot of people that come in have borderline personality disorder. A lot of people that come in have depression, anxiety, and so in addition to the traditional twelve step stuff that they do, they've added those pieces. And in fact, in those treatment places, addiction medicine is also new. So we're just talking the last decade. Because before, if you're on methadone or buprenorphine, they wouldn't even accept you. Right. Right. Like it was uh, methadone, buprenorphine was considered harm reduction. Right. Like, 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 oh, you're replacing one drug with another. That's what they would say. Yes, right. They would. And so, so this is so complicated and so, uh, so nuanced. And and I think as healthcare providers, we need to know the pros and cons of all of these different models of care. And then we need to make sure that we guide the person in front of us with the risks and benefits yeah. of the ones, and we make sure they know which one we believe is best, but we support them in whatever they do. Absolutely. And so, like, I, I just think, uh, like, whatever, um, yeah. So thank you for, for going through this with us. Whatever else you want to chat about, we we can. You know, I just, uh, I, I hate um, bringing in any political kind of a person. Right, and, and, um, and, I, I, and I, you know, that's uh, that's fair, but this is in the, this is in the kind of uh, ecosystem now. It's something that people are talking about, and we, we both share friends that would be uh, perhaps upset that we're bringing this forward, but I don't think that... Um, I, I, I hopefully so let's uh, let's try it out. I mean, hopefully let's try we've it out. done I mean, it in a balanced way. Yeah, I mean, we know more than uh, this politician does about addiction care and treatment. Yeah, I think that part is absolutely uh, clear. And so. so I think we want to bring our expertise so people can get yep. a perspective and a different perspective. Um, and um, there were some uh, just as a overview here, there were some things that were true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Something. Some true. points that were valid. And. Yep. Um, some other points that were, would we say, uh, perhaps uh, pol- s- certainly politicized, and um, and there were other points that, uh, not questioning anyone's motives, but were just just ignorant of the facts in some yeah. cases, right? Yeah, so I just, uh, the, that's, the, that's my take on it. Is that? Uh, I mean, the the argument that uh, certain people would say is that when a lot of these uh, politicians speak, they're what's that thing they call? They call it like dog whistling or, or something. I don't know what it yeah. is. Yeah, dog whistle politics. I think. Yeah, like and and so it's, uh, they say something, but without actually uh, actually saying it. Yeah, uh, and I'm never good at picking that stuff uh, up. Uh, and it'd be interesting to know yeah. what those things uh, are. You know, like I just. Uh, but we're just talking about the our our yeah. expertise in this. Yeah. As two clinicians that work. Yeah, in this fair field. enough. Fair enough. You fair? know, I think like, yeah, fair. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. Stuff.